Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking you to you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald, and the quest, the past. Uh, in the last couple episodes, the party smacked Tragloka, uh, got rid of that whole issue. Ogres, no more. And the party are now officially uh, homies of Lord Amthar the Fierce in the city of Galad Bray. Uh, the party have sort of earned their right to the city's uh, respect. And after having done so, um, Anton had a wild, raucous night laying out some holy justice. <laughs> <clears throat> the party, now with money, decided to hook up some sweet stuff on um, the uh, Pimp My my Boat episode featured in Gallad Bay with D20 Zibit. Um, the party uh, then decided it was a good time to leave and go find that Stupid turd Umthrendil asks him deep questions. Uh, and so the half-ogre ranger tracker guy, Swiftbolt, was officially assigned to the party on this quest. Uh, after speaking with Swiftbolt for a long enough time, the party realized two things. Holy moly, he is depressed. And two, holy moly, he needs a friend. So the party decided they would share their own depression and friendship with them, and thus they became good pals, using their token bug friend as an example of why this party accepts all others. Um, but yeah, so the game ended last time with the party looking up into the sky and seeing the strange, bloody aurora that seemed to be permeating from the channel of blood not too far from where the party is, alarming them that they may be close to the icon of despair itself and thus on the doorstep of Unthrendil. So, is, as far is as... Actual blood? I mean, I don't know. You gotta go look at it. Yeah, I want to see. Like, this is a safety hazard. Well, I'm like, is it real? That's a lot of blood. That, that's like, you gotta this, keep that river going. It's, you know, that's the uh, power of being a super evil bad guy. Blood just kind of happens. It's like green <laughs> oozing from the walls. Like you just, it just happens. It's not. It's like Nickelodeon slime, man. It's not even, you know. That's, that's the name of a different campaign I'm in. Blood is happening, and it's a good campaign, let me tell you. I don't know if that's real or not. But anyway. <laughs> um, very, very well. Um, so with that, uh, did the party have any sort of a watch list or anything they wanted to do? 
a watch order. Yeah. Okay. Unless you guys had any good movies you wanted to watch out here in the middle of the open plains. Or Steve like Holt never goes anywhere without his portable DVD and Blu-ray player. I didn't yeah. know if there were people we wanted to start putting on a watch list, if that's what you were asking us. <laughs> that's a different angle, but that might be in your other campaign. Uh, 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 will go- I'll take last watch. Nope. Clicka will go last and Jarzak can go third then. Oh. <laughs> Um, Swiftbolt obviously offers to take a watch wherever you guys need him to. Yeah. Nora will probably take second watch. First. Fair enough. So that the watch uh, goes by pretty uneventfully. Um, the only thing of note, little tiny thing, um, the sounds of wailing dead uh, from the valley to the north where you guys are headed uh, make sleeping nearly an impossible feat. Uh, so I'm going to have everybody just roll a constitution saving throw to see if you're able to actually retain much rest from this evening. Jarzak, um, by the way, because of that wonderful voice you hear in your head and all the screaming images, you are going to be at disadvantage on this. Uh, I would say I'd be at advantage because I'm so used to it. <laughs> They just have a hotkey menu to get in your brain. They're just like, oh, this guy's door's right open. It's kind of like that thing at the movies where it shows you like the popcorn and the soda. Let's all go to the lobby. But they're all just walking into Jarzak's brain. But anyway, that's like the second time we've made a a reference to Jarzak's brain as like a waiting room of sorts. So anyway, what'd we get? Norhal got a 17. Nice. 15. Okay. Which will either be right on the threshold or a failure. <laughs> what did Hinton get? I got an eight. I'm scarred by the sounds of death. <laughs> what about Jarzak? Uh, disadvantage really did me dirty. 14. <laughs> yeah. So everybody manages to do pretty well to sleep through the terror. Except for Anton, who, being the first one on the watch, had everybody else go to sleep and sat there listening to the droning whales carried on the wind. And Anton is reminded of the lonesomeness and the feeling of his home having been destroyed. And hearing these whales, every once in a while, he has a flitting sense that one of them is calling to him specifically. Anton, hoping to get some solace by closing his eyes and praying, feels a certain scratching at his boot looks down and sees a mutilated rat that has been sort of reanimated trying to chomp on his toe. As he flicks it off quickly, it squeaks in the distance, and Anton is reminded, maybe, just maybe, sleeping on the doorstep of the lich is not the best plan. Apart from that, you're pretty cool, I guess. Oh, that's that's great. (laughs) Okay, he didn't bite you that hard. Um, you know, you could have grabbed that rat and cracked it open, and you could have been the one who cracks open the rat, gets gets to crack something open while everyone else is sleeping for once. Ben, open a one. Yeah, Ben, Ben the cracker instead of the cracky. Um. So with that, the party awake in the morning. The uh, grounds out here are thick with fog. Um, and the mist seems to cling uh, to the air pretty tightly. Uh, you notice the smell of rot and decay seems to be pretty pungent out here. But nevertheless, Swiftbolt says to break down the camp and continue, 
suggesting that it's only going to get worse. Great. Fantastic. So <laughs> after a few hours of wandering north, um, the sense that the plants out here were at one point a springtime locale, you guys start to realize that the gray, crunchy, brown grasses and, and, and various uh, bits of plant life here, it seems as if the death that's permeated into this land has affected the plant life as well. And slowly over time, the colors that you were accustomed to when you were first traveling out this way, the greens and the wildflower colors and the bright blue skies have reverted to browns, tans, sickly colors and grays. Um, as Swiftbolt takes a moment, puts his foot up onto a stump of a dead tree, he lurks, uh, sorry, turns around and looks at you guys and says, we have two options with what we can do next. I am afraid to say we do have to cross the channel if you are to go to the Icon of Despair. I have never once crossed the channel. I have brought people to this point, offered them one of two choices, and let them decide for themselves, leaving them to do their business as they continued north. We're only a day's travel from this place. If you'd like, we can take the quicker route where the channel is most difficult to pass, or we can travel into the night where there is a place where we may ford the river. Can we also fly? Yeah. And he just kind of lifts an eyebrow and he says, what? Like a Jarzak. I mean, that might come in handy, depending on obviously how long the how the width of the river. With that he just kind of stammers a little bit to himself, and he says, "I that um, that would certainly make things a lot easier." Very uh, well. What he thinks. He says, "Well, I suppose if." Where to be expeditious, we might as well travel the shorter way and fly over the river, as he seems to be a little bit confused by this prospect and a little bit alarmed that this wasn't brought to him a little bit sooner. But with that, he just turns tail and says, is this your plan? Is it advisable, do you think? Well, it depends on what you're worried about out here. If your fear is that we may be noticed, I would like you all to recognize that we've been noticed for quite some time. Being faster and crossing this faster is gonna do nothing more than help us, well, be done with it sooner. If we take a longer route, it's not gonna save us anything. The agents of the Lich are everywhere. The intelligence you see in the creatures revived in their own aspect of undeath, it is clear that it is not the intelligence of the birds, nor the small creatures of this land. Something pilots them, and something pushes them. I suppose if we are to take the shorter route, we might be able to save ourselves from some sort of trap. Very well. We shall try the shorter route, and if Jarzak is willing, perhaps we can simply fly across. Jarzak says no. <laughs> Jarzak's like, uh-uh, too many free rides. <laughs> Party has to pay a toll. <laughs> can, I, can I freeze the river? I mean, that might be an option. 
like turn the tides. That is repugnant. <laughs> I can do it. It's I also think it's funny. Jarzak also has the ring that lets him do that, but I feel like that's so disgusting to think of how thick and soupy that would be before it's truly frozen over. Uh, oh, water shape water doesn't work on it. It's shape water. Well, you, you siphon the water content out and you separate it. It's like a transfuser, or whatever they call them, the uh, thing that separates the two of them. That's disgusting. So what? You just be sloshing through a mixture of plasma and blood cells <laughs> like mud. Ugh. You know, if Gwyneth Paltrow can get it injected into her own face, I think our party can travel through it. We've seen half of the extra-dimensional forces of evil that she has. We 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 each uh, become one before years younger. I don't know. You guys I'm not doing the egg. I'm not doing the egg. Okay, so with that, um, the party continue on their way for a couple hours before the smell of rust and rot sort of fill your nostrils. Traveling in this way, you guys can hear the sounds of the rushing of a river, and as uh, your guide, Swiftbolt, pulls up his undershirt over his face and keeps it held there to ward off the stench, he says, I don't trust that this area is not without its own diseases and ailments carried in the air. I would, if I were you, do the same. You did adjust the cloak. Yeah, no, and, and Norhill is going to pull out like a handkerchief or a scarf or something and wet it from his water skin uh, to tie it around his face that way and also give everybody a drink from the Silverstein to give us a bonus on constitution saving throws to our collective good health um, at this point I will need everybody to roll a constitution saving throw however with a plus two with a plus two Sixteen. Nice. Twenty-eight. Very nice. Norhill takes a a swig of the bloody water. (laughs) He's like, just like grandma used to make it. (laughs) What did Jarzak get? Seven. Oh, no. So, as the uh, party are stretching along here and breathing it in, Jarzak develops a light cough. Um... The party make it up to this river, as has been described, uh, the channel of blood. And as you guys can see, now that you've come to this waterway where much of the fog seems to have sort of chilled off, there's a bit of clarity. Um, As you look off in the distance, you can see the sort of the mountainous face where the icon of despair is located. Siftbolt points up that way and says, we are about a day's ride. Or I guess walk in our case. Um, He says, but we are about a day away from where we're supposed to be going. Again, I have not crossed this river before, so you'll have to forgive me when I say that I'm a bit afraid of what may be awaiting us on the other side. From what I've seen from afar and from what I've heard, what is over the river and up towards the icon is nothing short of a graveyard. Hundreds of thousands of bodies and bones strewn about. But anyway, 
takes a few more steps forward and looks down at the uh, water here in the uh, channel. And it is not 100% blood, but the rusty red twinge to it immediately causes little bumpies on the back of your neck as you think for a second of all the blood that could potentially have caused this. Perhaps it's a visual effect, but after all the weeks and months of you guys fighting your way through every combat you've been through, there's no question that that is the smell of blood. And not just any blood, but like stinky, stagnant, rotten blood. Ugh, it's awful. We must be across as soon as possible. Cleek is having a bad time. This is like when we went in the sewers. Sorry, Jack. Do you you'll, think you'll be able to make it so that we can fly across? I don't know what you're all talking about. It smells fine. <laughs> the one person who succumbed to it. <laughs> I mean, things that are bad are good for Jarzak for smell and taste. So, like, <laughs> oh, that's true. Too bad his body doesn't react the same way. The message coming from your nose to your body, you're just breathing deep on it. That's probably why you got sick. Fresh air. For once, somebody's got some fresh air in this piece. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so fucked. Okay. Well, before you, the river stretches across about 15 to 20 feet, but it looks like it's pretty deep, and there doesn't seem to be any major rocks within the waterway that anybody could step or leap in. Um, Mr. Swiftbolt, where will you be staying so we can find you after? Should we just return here? Swiftbolt, when asked this question, has a moment uh, where he kind of forgets that he was going to have to answer this at some point. But he looks uh, to each one of you guys a bit worried and holsters his uh, his crossbow for a second and says, I figured I might join you across the river. Just in case you might need my help. Uh, well, if you come across with us, Jarzak won't be able to... Fly you back over once the spell runs out. So you'll be with us over there until we're done. Okay. Um, okay. So with that, he says, that's no bother, no issue. I, I know where the uh, easiest place to ford the river is. If I absolutely had to get away, I, I could. Okay. So, with that in mind, Swiftbolt looks to Jarzak and says, well... Jarzak just casts Fly on him and Klika, and we have to carry everyone else across one at a time. <laughs> yeah, gets Swiftbolt at all, just sort of holding onto his arms as he walks across the bottom. I mean, Swiftbolt is a pretty formidably t uh, strong. I, yeah, I, I just that's why it'd be funny if we didn't cast fly on him to carry someone. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure one or more people need to be carried for this maneuver. So, I mean, we can just chuck Klika. That's fine. Like a football. <laughs> I mean, she's, I she's got hollow bones. She'll land easy. She I got mean, monkey I can feet cast it on four people. So. So yeah, just everyone but okay. Klika then. 
Yeah. Very good. So with that, Swift Bolt looks surprised by this and looks very happy by this and a bit scared by it, um, but immediately takes to the air just a little bit and hovers over the face of the water before landing comfortably on the other side. How wide is this river? Just he looks back to see Klika just doing the up-up symbol at him the whole way as he goes across and lands, and then Klika realizes he's not going to pick her up, and she just turns around without missing a beat to do it to Jarzak. The river is about 20 to 50, uh, sorry, yeah, 20 or so feet across. Okay, so it's not like Mississippi wide, it's it, it's like a little bit skinnier than that. It's still 20 feet. Yeah, I was just trying to think of like... I could jump it. <laughs> jump it? You know... But, um, okay. So everybody just flies across and Klika gets carried. Yeah, is there anything like swimming or like flying? Like if I take a just a look around? Any critters? Yeah, no. There is no movement that you see out here whatsoever. And to the point that it's almost a little bit eerie how little there is of any movement, noise, or anything. As if the wind itself seems to have ceased. The only thing making any noises in this vicinity is the, uh, the sound of the river as it slowly kind of gorges on. Great. It seems he likes his peace and quiet. <laughs> With that, Swiftbolt just turns around and says, the land is dead. But we heard the undead making noise. I heard it all night. Surprised I'm not With hearing that- it now. He turns to you guys and he says, what? You didn't hear that last night? I could barely sleep. It gave me such terrible feelings in the pits of my heart. My home. troubleshooting a cacophony as I'd ever heard. That he just kind of shakes his head and says, Fair enough. Hauntings of the area. That makes sense. Perhaps I slept through it. And with that, he just turns around and continues to march off in the direction of the mountain. He wasn't wrong that it's probably going to be about a day's trip to get up there. Um, But he turns back to the party and says, we have a couple options before us. We could camp here, farthest away while over the river. Or we could decide to travel as far up as we can before resting, closer to the icon. As bad as it was on the other side of the channel, I should think if we're going to camp, it should be as far from the icon as possible. And with that, he just sort of nods his head, uh, excited that you would agree with him on this, recognizing how fearful Swift Bolt looks at this point. Um, this actually might be a good opportunity for us to take the time and really think of how we're going to approach this. I think this is going to need a little bit more strategy just than going in for a fight. And Anton's not thinking of this like, they might be a good guy. I think he's thinking from this from, I don't know what our rate of survival will be in any form of combat, but I mean, if we click- end here, our home is doomed. Clicka wasn't going in looking for any fight at all. 
I thought no, we were just going to talk. What are we going to talk about? Like, how are we going to convince this being? And, and... I doubt that the Lich is used to people coming into his doorstep for friendly conversation. We'll need to find ways to make our intention known as many times as it takes to get his attention. I mean, maybe you three could broker a deal. You're all respective leaders now. Perhaps. Well, don't forget also, you were given a gift before you left. Now, Clicka really likes the necklace, though. So she's I have the beads. We, <laughs> we must present the gift, Clicka. It is unfortunate. It but, is a piece of great beauty, but it has its purpose. Um, I mean, we could make that like a last resort offering. I feel like could maybe we imagine? should open with it. <laughs> I Not. think opening with it will be hmm. the best way uh, for us to deal with this amicably. I just, just for, I'm curious. This might be a religion check, maybe a silly one, but is there any like specific god or anything of that sort that has to do with like liches? Like, do liches ever follow specific gods, or are they technically not religious? Uh, it depends one on the campaign and the campaign mm-hmm. setting. So, to suggest that it's like a one size fits all is, you know. Naturally, when it comes to the usual lore for liches, Orcus is usually regarded as like the one who's sort of got the secret cheat code for people to be able to embrace undeath perpetually. Mm. Um, But within this campaign setting, to become immortal in this way is, I don't want to say sort of the same way that people become immortals as like the gods the immortals are, but this is basically like the tofu of immortality. Where it's like you are you are bastardizing what it means to be of the stars. So to suggest that any one god in particular blesses them, you could probably argue that the same god who's hanging out in Jarzak's brain, Durum, is maybe associated with this. But individuals like Valaketh and stuff like that may also be ones who might indulge certain dark secrets onto people for how they might be able to cheat life and be able to perpetually exist. Um, I just like that. Yeah. It's not immortality. It's beyond immortality. I can't believe it's not immortality. <laughs> I can't believe it's not immortality. Well, Anson's just trying to rack his brain of like, do we actually know anything about Infrindil? And like, we know that this once was a home of the dwarves at one point a long time ago. But like, Too do we have soon, any Anson. idea of like, Too who soon. was this person? And how did they get to this? Like, do we even have any of that knowledge? Or are we just kind of, we don't have a clue. You know, the term desperate when describing your plan uh, is not to be understated. I feel like it's safe to say that we didn't come out here with a firm plan. We came out here with a ramshackle plan that's held together with duct tape. And we got a pretty necklace and we're hoping he likes it. Oh, it just occurred to me now that we're like here. I'm like, oh, no. This, yeah. yeah. We, we, we know that this is a truly ancient creature that's been around so long that most people just take him as a part of the countryside. I don't think that plumbing to the depths of his origins is going to help much in this endeavor. I mean, I will say this much from what you were able to glean from the Dwarvish books within Triglocus Lair. Mm -hmm. um, 
the Nightcrag clan's last re records that you were able to read, or at least what you would imagine were the latest records in their um, TV guide from 500 years ago, it seems like the last, like, you know, true dwarvish records were only from about 500 years ago. So to say that it's super ancient, I mean, for what it's worth, Queen Paleodeatrice, like, she, she might be a little bit older than him. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, he's half a millennia that he's existed out here. But still. Did I glean anything of, like, how the dwarves, like, what happened to their line? Like, did he come about and end it? Or did they just move? Did we get, like, any, did I glean any information on that? Like, what happened to them? Oh, you casted tongues. Um, no, I mean, it's just the records that you have from those books basically were just, you know, records of, I don't know what it says, uh, records of a historical import. So it was like the farmer's almanacs of the of the dwarves out there, but nothing really specified like, breaking news, as of last week, freaky old skeleton man moved into town. Does this bode well? He's got a new form of Kool-Aid he wants us to drink, and it tastes good. More at seven. Like, you know, does this bode well? Let's hear from my recently reanimated neighbor. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh... but yeah, so, I mean, if that tells you anything, usually with regards to super powered liches, which for what it's worth in this campaign setting, there really aren't too many of them. So this guy is definitely an anomaly. Um, but the fact that his reign, at least in this area, sounds to be less than a millennia, perhaps just half a millennia, uh, just goes to show he's not so brutally entrenched that he's like, you know what I mean? Again, yeah, there's not, elves like... who casually live as farmers who have lived longer than this guy has. Yeah, I think I'm just thinking it was like really coming down to Anton. It's like, is this guy even going to care? Like, this guy might even be friends with someone like the... Um, the uh Herald of Steel. Yeah, thank you. You're um <laughs> I don't know why I he's always like, think of the... <laughs> He's like, who Larry? That guy's pretty alright. Yeah, we go bowling. Yeah. Maybe Poker night every other Tuesday. He's been an immortal. So they might not actually be friends at all. Um but it's it's just it's just occurring to Anton of like this might this, 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 it's like slowly coming to him. Like this might not be like what they were looking for. So he's getting, he's getting a little worried. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just, just all thoughts. introduce ourselves and our sort of whole general vibes and moral beliefs, and just, I don't know. One might call it an alignment, and then we'll just ask him once we've all introduced ourselves which one he hates the most, and that'll give us an idea of what we're working with. And that person has to leave. Very well. I hate all of you the most. Oh no! Lika's <laughs> plan. But that means he likes us all equally the best. That's true. <laughs> Checkmate, and with that, the lich dissolves in a poof of logic. Um, <laughs> but no, we weren't supposed to kill him! <laughs> well, this was always going to be kind of a long shot. One might call it our last resort. A good, por a good portion <laughs> of this mission is a prayer that we're about to get a powerful ally. 
Well, maybe he doesn't like the immortals. Maybe he'll actually like our story that the immortals did not care right. for our fight. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, him, maybe that's himself trying to be an immortal as well. I don't know. But that's actually part of the reason that I thought we might actually be successful in the shutdown. Sure, he's given himself he's given himself life everlasting, but he's still an earthly creature. Yeah, he must have some attachment to this plane if he's still here. I doubt that he wants his immortal existence to be wiped out by the Herald of Steel. Yeah, we should threaten him. Just pr- present the option. so not a threat <laughs> we can follow up on. I'm going to get the hell like, to gonna... beat you up. It's like Darzak's like, listen, all I got to do is get really itchy and you're going to have to answer to a fucking god of darkness and, sh- and it bugs, okay? So how about that? Don't Don't make me call my dad. He just has to tell his secretary he's now taking visitors and all those dudes in his waiting room are going to bust out of his skull. <laughs> Pretty sure Jarzak would just die, list. but, you know, yeah. all the evil will spill out. Two and a half gods blow out. It's like, okay, <laughs> great job, Jarzak. Like opening Pandora's yeah, box. That's good. <laughs> good old Jarzak's box. Um, yeah, that's funny. Once you let all the, the the evil gods out of his brain, he dies. So it's like Pandora's box, but a lot more grimy. Um, so no. and there's no hope with that. Him. No, just his spinal cord. Swiftbolt says, "I would highly recommend we continue this discussion and, and figure something out because if we are to get past that which dwells at the gate, I think." Uh, we may have a short window of time to come up with a plan to deal with this. What, what was at the gate? And with that, he shudders a little bit and says, well, it's like I had said before. Some thing exists over there. And he just points 10 feet from your camp. No, I'm just kidding. He points, uh, <laughs> he points all the way up towards where the icon is. Um, and under the moonlight, now that you guys are camped out, you can see the... Uh, a tower sort of peeking out at the corner of the mountain's peak. Um, But he points in the general vicinity at the base of the mountain and says, amongst the bones and the dead, there is something of a writhing spirit that commands them to do its bidding. I don't necessarily think that it's intelligent, but... Well, the screams I've heard lead me to believe something waits at the base. And from what I've seen flying around in the shadows of night... It is not unlike a serpent, not unlike a mass of locusts, not unlike a dragon. Some giant mass of the bones protects this place. I'm assuming, based on the fact I could fly earlier this morning, that you guys are well enough equipped to be able to handle yourself against a foe. I don't know if you can handle yourselves against this sort of foe, but... Again, anything out here that dies, I don't think is truly dead for long. So I'd highly recommend we come up with a plan and a good one. Well, I can, I will obviously attempt my turning. 
we'll obviously have daylight on our sides. <laughs> but we should probably approach under the flag of parlay. As a way of making our intentions known, even from a great distance. Mm. <laughs> I don't know which one of you would be the funniest to have to say you who like that. I feel like Nordhill would probably be the funniest, but Jarzag, I think, would also be equally as funny. <laughs> Just like uh, singing from like Rapunzel or Julianne to go down from the fucking castle. <laughs> it's just like, uh, what's her face from Shrek? Just, uh, yeah. but it's just Norhill. It's like, oh crap, he's drinking the holy beer again. He's like, <laughs> plus two on performance, bitch. <laughs> um, For a total of plus three. Hell yeah. Um, okay. So, I suppose if that's it for the plans of the party, um, the party can get some rest. Assuming that, uh, assuming the army of the living dead stays quiet tonight. Yeah, I will say that as night falls to its purest form, it definitely seems clear that, uh, it's it's still deathly quiet out here. Again, to be surrounded by the dead is an understatement. It is so perpetually quiet that, again, all you hear is the slow gurglings of the river behind you and the whistling of the wind gently. Um, but yeah, so as the party prepare to get some rest, you guys hear the sound of a single voice sort of bark out from the dark of night. And it calls out and it says, Amina, Amina, are you there? Mm. We all hear this. That's what looks up and says, what are you talking about? (laughs) Ignore it. I'm sure it is a trick. But what if someone's lost out here? No one Bolt says, out here. He's like, we're lost out here. I don't know where we are. <laughs> yeah, no one should leave the tent without a friend. What are you thinking of everybody in the tent? And it's just like the silhouette of the party inside the yeah. tent, the ghost approaching, just Amina. And the party's like, Shh. very clearly see you guys through the wall of the tent. But anyway, Blair witching it. <laughs> We wake up, the tent is completely surrounded by small piles of stones. Oh, no. But with that, the voice calls out again and says, Amina, please. I'm so scared. Anton just says, I think we just need to ignore it. I don't don't trust it. And with that, Another voice chimes in, this time in the dwarvish tongue, and it calls out and it says, Cognar, where are you, brother? And slowly, as time kind of fades in between the individual callings, more voices call out. I'd say the 70 to 80% of them are dwarvish, but more and more voices just kind of chime out, calling for missing people and crying for help until it's, like, surrounding the tent. 
to the point the party can't really even hear themselves talking to one another because of how loud the shouting and the crying of the ghosts is. Assuming it's ghosts, specters, haunts, whatever you want to call them. It's spoopy. Surprise we're being protected by a tent. That's always fascinated me as like a thing in horror that like if you're in the tent, you're safe. How? <laughs> the monster can't get you if because you're you're, under the covers. Yeah, if yeah. you're under the covers. <laughs> the tent is like eyes. one big covers, and then if you get inside your sleeping bag and close the top, that's two covers. Uh, you're practically invincible. One foot pokes out. Um, but with that, the screaming of them all looking for somebody somewhere. Uh, becomes like impossible to hear yourselves think over, and as if with like the the sound of like a rev- the reverse of like a, a clap of thunder, everything goes perfectly silent, and you guys for a moment can hear the noise of one low raspy rolling voice from inside the tent, and it chimes in slowly. Who are you? Why have you come here? We have come to treat with the Lich, Unfrendiel. Our Clicky banner is one of peace. No conflict. Very shaky. Uh, hi, I'm Klika. And with that, the voice does not answer in any way. And suddenly, the tent itself is filled with each and every one of the individuals who had been asking for whomever they were asking for until there's about 60 people jam-packed in here like a New York subway train in the middle of like New Year's Eve celebration just jam-packed and each and every one of them looks like the visions from within Jarzak's mind which by the way Jarzak this doesn't spook you as much as it spooks everybody else because this has been like it's like one of those picture frames with the photos in it and just keep like swapping through what? How yeah. big is our tent? I mean, oh, we have a like military a big tent. tent. Yeah. It's like, yeah. A, it's like a military pavilion, basically. Oh. It's, it's big enough and so that, that it's a brazier. It's like it, a, it's like a kind of dinky. Yeah, we could have like tables and shit in here. Oh, my God. I was thinking like like roughing it. <laughs> no, that's why That's why it's always funny that we make Norhill set up and de- collapse the whole thing by himself sometimes. Because <laughs> it takes him like hours. <laughs> what, I, what I need you guys to do now is to roll me a charisma check. Boy. Anton, because you were haunted in the first night by spookiness, I'm going to need you to do this at disadvantage. A charisma oh. save or a check? Oh, one second. Oh, uh, save. My bad. Let's go. Same thing for me. Twenty-seven. Nice. Do, do this at disadvantage. Jesus Christ! Twenty-seven. Jarzak yawns. One below a crit. So <laughs> yeah. Also one below a crit for a twenty-three. Damn. Uh, okay. got a significantly less impressive thirteen. Nice. I got a thirteen. Okay, so Norhill and Anton have to roll again. As Jarzak and Klika blink quickly as seeing this monstrous horde of the undead inside the tent, both of you guys catch your breath in a slight heart attack as you realize there's nothing in the tent with you. And as you guys kind of like leapt to get weapons and stuff at the ready, you look and see Norhill and Anton are still like looking around like they're still in the room with them. 
uh, or I guess in the tent with him, uh, as well as Swift Bolt. So let's roll another can, save. Can Klika shout out they're not real? I got 22. Yeah. Guys need to calm down. There's nothing here. Slap myself. Norhill got a seven. Now, with that, Swift Bolt and Norhill both seem to still be struggling with this, whatever is happening around them, as Norhill and like Swift Bolt are like cruising over Klika, Jarzak, and Anton, like trying to like find a way out of the horde. To Norhill and to Swift Bolt, these individuals are like pressing in on you and climbing on top of you. You are being smothered by a, a small flood of molten rotten flesh as they seem to be piling all on top of you and smothering you. Uh, one more to go, Mr. Mr. Norhill and Mr. Swift Bolt. Oh, good. Uh, 16. Okay, so Norhill at the last minute as Jarzak, Klika, and Anton are shaking you, like, back out of this whole illusion, your eyes roll back from behind your skull, and you see in the, the tent around you, there is nobody. But unfortunately, Swiftbolt clutching his chest seems to have gone utterly unconscious, and it seems, for all intents and purposes, as if his heart has stopped. Oh, I'm gonna pass Cast fucking revivify on him. Can't fucking die on us now. No fucking way. Can we make Get back here? Is he no. dead for real? I'm Can gonna we cast check? revivify on him. I was gonna say, like, I cast firebolt. I don't need a zombie in my tent. Oh shit! Wait, can I actually cast this? Are you we can, be, like can... doing the whole components thing? Why don't we cast... Well, of course we're doing a components thing. What the hell are you talking about? But first of all, why don't we cast a medicine check? Okay. <laughs> what do we start with that? Uh, Nineteen. Okay. After you feel his vitals, it seems like he is still breathing, but so slightly that he's like borderline like in a coma and as he's just laying there with his eyes wide open rolled back into his skull and barely breathing and gritting his teeth it is like a horror to look at what has happened to him but after about 30 seconds to a minute it seems like his eyes close and he just breathes deeply i think he's getting out of it slowly let's just give him a little time is, is he gonna be okay still alive. I think it just put him in a little bit of a shock. Let's just continue to rest if we can. You know, nobody died. We never took our feet out from underneath the covers. You know, I'm just saying everybody stayed cool. This was a test of the emergency cover system. I'm proud of you all. Um, but yeah, so, what was the plan for the rest of the evening? Uh, probably double uh, on watches. Everybody takes watch with a friend. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't answer us back. It's kind of rude. Perhaps should have introduced himself. That horrid vision was his answer. That wasn't maybe, an answer. Maybe it wasn't even him. It could all just be automated. 
<laughs> He's been gone for a few hundred years now. This is just like the welcoming party. <laughs> just so you were saying this was like similar to what Jarzak's been seeing. Is it like the same or no? I would I would say the images of like you know cruel pain corpses is something that Jarzak's used to seeing, which doesn't feel good as a dungeon master to say that that's what Jarzak is used to seeing. So I'm just <laughs> saying that like brutalized corpses is what Jarzak has been seeing for a while. So this didn't really catch him off guard as scary as everybody else. Jarzak's just hard as fuck like that. Yeah. It makes me think of the shining. Like when Danny just turns the corner and there's like some fucked up shit in the hallway. Like that was like <laughs> bitch in the bathtub. Um have to so try harder hotel. That... This stuff isn't scary. <laughs> With that, the party stay in shifts watching the tent, uh, and in the morning, Swiftbolt awakens. Um, you can tell that as he awakens, it opens his eyes. His irises seem to have shifted a bit and now have a solid white ring around the normal brown ring that he had before in his iris. And as he opens his eyes, he looks around at everybody with a look puzzlement as he looks down at his hands and at everybody else and says that Something doesn't feel right. Mm. He says he was troubled with check? nightmares. What? Can I do another medicine check on him? I mean, you can tell that it doesn't look like his... I'm describing his vision, it doesn't seem like he's suffering from any sort of visual impairment or anything, but it definitely looks like whatever I... happened seemed to have changed him. Can Klika do an Arcana check on his eyes? Yeah. We'd probably be closer to a religion check, but Arcana would work too. Yeah, I have the same modifier. For both, so, considering the I got a soft twenty. Shared, it would be strange okay. if it didn't take you some time to recover. Let's see, what did I you got get? A... Oh, sorry. Twenty-two on religion. Okay, so both Klika and Anton are very well aware that as they look over at Jarzak and look back at this guy's irises having these sort of experiences and touching into the supernatural realms of other planes and other powers, it can sometimes be enough to leave somebody with some permanent scars and some marks that remind you of what has happened. Again, Jarzak, being the pale, bug-eyed, weird-smelling guy that he is, is just like, that's it? Yeah, he just takes... cool edgelord <laughs> eyeballs? He just takes it all in stride, you know? <laughs> But with that, um, he says, whatever that was, we must hurry. We have to finish what we came here for. Whatever happened last night is a sign of what is to come, and I don't think we'll survive if we try to take our time. Clearly, we are in his lair, in his terrain, and on his terms. The best we can do is hurry. Right. Yes. As the party Clayton pushed was hoping to flaps, take it easy today, maybe like just sort of hang out. Day in bed, you know, pajama day. But all right, if everyone else wants to go, we can go. <laughs> I like thinking Jarzak's wearing little, like, little rabbit slipper, a uh, little <laughs> rabbit ear, little bunny slippers there. I don't know <laughs> what the big deal is, guys. Yeah, <laughs> Sipping on a coffee. Norhill's wombat slippers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> goes just wearing mittens. Um, <laughs> 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 Um, <laughs> one of the wombat slippers is coming back to life. 
<laughs> oh no. Uh, when Norhill takes down the tent, he's going to take one of the longer, but you know, also thinner and easier to carry poles and use that to sort of makeshift uh, a parlay flag and carry it as we approach the icon. Uh, but as soon as you guys open the flaps from the tent and walk outside, it is absolutely surrounded with skulls and bones that have each been brutalized, broken, cracked, and snapped. And it is a perfect circle around the tent, as if like a fairy circle, but just made with bones. It's sort of a osseous circle. It's like a like a sigil. Um, but yeah, after stepping out and seeing that, Swiftbolt says, I really think we should hurry. Whatever it is, I think we might want to get out of here as quick as we can. I'm inclined to agree. Mm. Should so, I do a religion as, check and see if it means like an actual symbol? I mean, this would probably be more of an arcana check than anything. Oh, okay. Um but it seems pretty safe to say just from what you guys have had to do in teleportation circles and stuff, this looks like it may have been an arcane component for something of like a, of a, of a spell of some sort. What kind mm -hmm. of spell? It's hard to say, but judging by like the fact that it was something of like a ritualistic casting, it's probably a powerful spell of some sort of divination perhaps, which, you know, who doesn't cast those spells? Um, so with that, the party pack up the tent and make a wonderful long flagpole with a uh, white dangling pair of underpants on it. Um, and they, <laughs> they were they were white when I bought them. Um, <laughs> the party begin their uh, terrible march up the mountain to the icon of despair. As the uh, party continue up this way. Luckily for the party, uh, traveling up to the icon is not a difficult task, seeing how it's sort of the one landmark spine sort of poking out of the uh, super evil spooky space that you guys are currently dwelling within. Um, but it does take about five hours to reach the summit up here. Uh, as far as the mountain where it crests, it's not exactly like, how do I say this? It's not a tall mountain. It feels like a giant hillock, and then there seems to be one jagged rocky spire sort of poking out of it. Um, but the ridges are very steep, as if almost like a castle-like fortification out here. It seems like each and every ridge going up is about 30 or so feet with like a cliff, the kind of spooky cliff that you see like the goats do that thing on there where they stand on its side with those fucking goats, man. But anyway, um, it's sort of like that circling around it until it reaches up and reveals to you guys what... Norhill can very clearly uh, recognize to be a dwarvish style fortress with a single spire peeking out and looking up over the mountain. Um, but as the party continue up this hill, um, it becomes painfully apparent that Swiftbolt is terrified every time you guys pass a new pile of bones. As you guys continue up this way, the bones become more and more impressive as you see what must be frost giant bones, mammoth bones, the bones of those spooky Elkatar guys. It slowly over time dawns on you that there are, in fact, giant winged draconian skeletons out here. And once the party reach sort of the uh, flat, sort of uh, cleared out valley, there are some large rocks and some trees out here. Each one tastefully dead, as one would expect on the doorstep of Spooky Land. Um, you guys notice, as you stand out here, that 
there is a bit of like a, a pavilion landing to the entrance of the place, a few hundred feet up on those rocky cliffs. Um, the pavilion entrance looks to be about a hundred or so feet wide. Uh, it seems to be shaped almost like a capital D sort of budding out like a, yeah, out over where you guys are. But as you begin to look up and wonder how it is that you might be able to climb this, all of a sudden, the bones at your feet, around you, between the trees, the rocks, and all this stuff, slowly begin to shake and clatter. So, my question for you guys is, what did you get on initiative? You haven't asked us to roll anything for initiative. Oh, yeah. Roll for initiative. 13. 12. 15. Oh, man. Uh, Norhill gets top initiative. It's, it's going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, what did what did uh, Anton get? Yeah, two. Oh, good. oh no! <laughs> that's okay. That's healer initiative. That's what we want. Yeah, but I can turn them. You know Maybe. that feels meta gamey. Um, so all of a sudden, um, from the rocks beside the party, as the party are standing, I imagine in something of a little cluster here. Um, yeah, you guys can tell that from the rocks to either side of you, a few shambling mounds of bones begin to rise up on either side of you. Um, these bone piles slowly but surely develop what appear to be like antlers, I guess would make sense, made out of like finger bones and leg bones and spooky, scary skeleton bones. Um, but as these bony things begin to crawl out of the uh, space beside you guys, the bones that seem to clatter, the dragon bones, the giant bones, all begin to slowly lift from the ground and float into the air. And as they do, they begin to swirl like a small tornado of sorts. And as they do so, slowly but surely, a form forms within the center of it, making something of a serpentine shape. Um, as this is happening, Swiftbolt sort of starts to pat at his own throat, looking out here at the uh, nightmare that is unfolding before you. And he says, this is, this is it. This is what I've seen before. He says, this is our last chance to run. And slowly but surely, the giant serpentine shape forms in the air, floating above you guys. And this thing uh, is gargantuan. It is absolutely massive, not unlike the size of the ancient red dragon that you guys had dealt with, Tereshesdurum. This thing is massive. Again, as he says, the swarm of locusts, like a dragon in the air, a giant serpent, the amalgamate mass of bones... Uh, is actualized as it floats in the air above you guys and again sheds more bones in your general direction before swooping down and dive bombing into the group of all of you guys. Um, well, it was nice knowing you guys. Uh, as it dive bombs down at the circle of the party, uh, I'm going to say just because this thing is absolutely wild and out right now, I'm going to just roll uh, a random check to see who I'm going to hit. So, uh, that looks like one, two, three, four. So, Klika, I'm afraid you have won the lottery. And it's not the good kind either. All right. Suddenly, the thing, 
careens down from the air and collides with the earth uh, with absolute reckless abandon. Uh, what's your armor class? 21. Okay. So it slams into you with a 23. I will cast shield. This it does not look Glica, good. Glica sees this thing come careening down at <laughs> yeah, like a and match just like, and just, nope! And she's <laughs> over it. Like, no, 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 no. And with that, the thing just absolutely slams down over the space where the party is and just crashes into the ground. The bones of its own body just seem to, like, crash. Again, like a Mack truck crashing into a wall. It's just all the force of all the bones behind it clatter and smash to the ground, splintering and breaking as they do. The uh, Elkatar guys immediately rush in to its aid and seem to flank the party, swinging in on Anton and on Jarzak. So... That the Elkatar swing in uh, with their spiny antlers on their heads. And, uh, the one uh, attacking let's... Anton is going to do so at disadvantage. Oh, okay. Anton, you, uh, I would say you owe a thank you to Norhill, but what's your armor class? Um, it's normally a 16, but can I cast Shield of Faith or I, I, I can't do that? No, that's something shield? you have to do on your turn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so with that, what's uh, so your armor class is sixteen, so yeah. it is able to hit. So as it crashes into you, the Elkatar bones, you take fourteen points of damage as it slams into your side. Jarzag, what's your armor class? Nineteen. Okay. So with that, wait, what was it? Nineteen. Okay, good. Um, so with that, this one tries to swing in at you, but you manage to duck away deftly. And with that, we go to the next highest in the round, which is Norhill. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. Norhill is going to bellow out across the dead lands. Unfriendil, we come to parlay. Call off your servant. Uh, but that's... So is this gigantic bone locust snake thing actually within five feet of Norhill? Yeah, no, 100%. And then uh, Norhill's going to pull out the hook hammer and start trying to smash it with the hammer side. Okay. Uh, Let's see, that's going to be a 17 to hit. Okie dokie. That is... Good. Okay, and the second attack is going to be a 22 to hit. That's also good. It'd be weird if it wasn't. Anything, I feel like I'd be more worried if the armor class got better every time. Uh, so that's going to be 28 points of magical bludgeoning and lightning damage. The bludgeoning damage is going to be doubled. All right, uh, so let's see. The bludgeoning damage was, let's see, that was 20 of the points. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Um, was that it for your turn? Uh, yep, that was two attacks. So Norhill shouts out, 
Odin Thrindial backing off with his attack locust pile of bones and just climbs into the pile of bones, hammer swinging like he's chopping through like Serengeti grasses. Oh, um, like yeah, it just finds a whole Klika in there. Just hanging out under a shield like, Klika's actually okay. Um, but the next in the turn order uh, is Jarzak. Um. Well, Jarzak's gonna look around at this not great situation, and be like, "Well, let's hope luck's on our side," and pulls out Domero's luck. Oh no! <laughs> that double damage on bludgeoning is gonna help out, but freak yeah, uh, at what cost? Yeah, he'll attack the smaller guy that came up and attacked him. Um, okay, just the full sized Alcatar, you know, the, the small guy. Yeah, this this is a lot smaller than the the giant thing that Cleek is dealing with. I'll leave that up to her. Uh, Norhill got first blood on it. Yeah, at this point, it's his. Oh, uh, I should have used my hexblade curse on it first, but that's okay. So that is a thirty to hit. You definitely hit it. Its armor class is very pathetic. This thing is not known for being dexterous. Um, That's going to be 13 yeah. bludgeoning damage. Okay. And a 26 to hit with another 10 bludgeoning. Another 10, you said? Yep. Goddamn. So already that thing's been bloodied as you shatter through its ribs and smack off one of the antlers. The thing it seems to rustle it off and open its maw, revealing that instead of teeth, it has a grasping hand of fingers instead. And this thing <laughs> seems to be just attempting to crawl closer and closer to pulling you in with a very loving hug. And Jarzak's um, gonna bonus action teleport to the other side of him with his <laughs> movement. Actually. Um... Okay, so now it goes to Klika. Okay, can Klika move to the other side of, I guess, this big bone monster? I mean, I would say you'd be able to travel around it. But yeah, I just, yeah. or as long as I'm not underneath it anymore, I don't really care. I guess right here is good. Uh, so yeah, click on move on the where Jarzak just teleported from. So she's now okay. occupying Jarzak's old space. Um, and you then... jump out of the eyeball hole of a dragon skull that the thing has built into it. Yeah, <laughs> yabba dabba doos down the tailbone that's out there, red Flintstone style. About to clock out for the weekend, eat some giant ribs, <laughs> have a gay old time. Right. Is, this Is that where Klika pop up some of the bones on her way down? <laughs> so Jarzak goes to the snowman dimension and Klika just goes to the fucking Flintstones? Yeah, it happens <laughs> more than you'd think. <laughs> good old Klika Flintstone. All right, Klika will okay, Shadow Blade. Um, do I have flanking on the Minotaur with Jarzak? Uh, you do. Alright, let's try and take that out first since you said it was bloodied. 
All right, that's a 27 to hit. Yeah, that's, that's good. Okay, so that is twenty or nineteen psychic damage, three thunder damage, and five ability score damage. I always free. I think that ends up being psychic too. Damn. So I don't know if it matters with psychic damage on these things, but twenty six damage total. Say- yeah, the, the ability bonus damage. is always the weapon's primary damage type. Yeah, so it'd be psychic. So what were the damages again? So it's going to be... Notably does not work. Okay, so it's 20... I believe 23 psychic damage and 3 thunder damage. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Well, you sure do deal that 3 thunder damage. All right, just click a notice that that did not work. A hundred percent. Usually, click the things sees things blow up and die when she does that, yeah. and this thing notably did not flinch. All right, click a wall. Put just dispel, or she'll she'll just put the uh, shadow blade on the ground, pull out flicker, and uh, be ready it's for. Blade on the ground. Yeah, just, like, just put down condensed darkness. On yeah, the just like, yeah, I can throw it and summon it back to me so I can drop it if I goddamn please. Ask the Elkatar to hold it for you. Yeah. Just put it into his foot. That was the three damage. <laughs> hold this. Uh, and okay. that'll be Klika's turn. Okay. Well, all right, now it goes to Anton. Well, Anton's going to attempt to turn it. Well, turn all three. Oh, boy. If we hit them, they are no longer turned if they do turn. So what's the uh, wisdom save we got on this? So it is a... I'm 99% sure it's a 16, but let me... I rolled doubles for the Elkatar, and it did not look good for them. Don't forget Swift Bolt. He was secretly a zombie the whole time. Oh my god, I'd cry. Uh, 99% sure it's a 16. Yeah, 16. Okay. So, as you hold up the lantern, what do you do? Uh, yeah, heed our words for peace and let us pass. And throw out the lantern and Shoo them away. Okay. Like so the as good they so, are. The Elgatar definitely seem to be phased by this, but unfortunately, the giant mass of bones seems to turn in your direction instead. And as the bones reassemble, they make almost like a giant sort of lamprey mouth. And as it opens up with all the different arms and hands reaching for you, opening up like a big old like freaking taco shell, I guess the best way to put it, as it opens up. Uh, it seems to just be preparing to pull you in. As you see a few skulls and heads inside of it, they seem to be almost talking to you. Oh shit, I get fireball right into there. <laughs> Perfect game. <laughs> Unfortunately, your minion comes in pieces, bitch. The fireball um, piece. Anton puts on his sunglasses. <laughs> um, the future looks so bright. <laughs> Um, are are some the end of- glasses blasphemous against the Illuminator? Probably. <laughs> I was wondering about that. 
No, they just make it so that you can stand in even brighter light. Was that the end of Anton's turn? I'm trying to think if I could do anything as a bonus action. I can cast Shield of Faith on myself. I think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, seeing how this thing didn't seem to be too affected by it, Anton's just like, also the Illuminator, look over me. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got the time for it. Um, okay, so now on their turn, uh, was there a booming blade attached to the Elkatar you two were smacking around? Yeah. Naturally. All right, well, it goes off. He takes another two damage. Oh. Oh, wait, okay. no. Hold on, it's two. He takes nine damage total. Is that Fury of the Small? No. Okay. I'm just waiting for that little tagline to pop up eventually. Um. So the other one rushes away from Anton at full speed. Um dashing away at full speed just charging out of here um the other one however when it goes to rush away jarzak and klika could get attacks of opportunity on it if they'd like to oh actually take that nine away because uh the target has to willingly willingly move so fear effects you know that was very honest of you yeah but i will make the opportunity to uh... And the, uh, making an opportunity attack will break the turn. Yeah, I'll let it go. I yeah. mean, hey, if you guys think you can kill it, it definitely looks like it's been beaten to snot by Jarzak smacking it around, so. Nope, I'll, I'll let it go too. That feels very out of character for Jarzak, but you know what? I'm going to let that one slide. It, it does, but there's also a giant bone monster right there. That he knows he's gonna have to deal with as well. And you know what, Jarzak? Like the the giant bone monster has ghosts in it. Ghosts? Finally, a real challenger. Also, uh, Jarzak is... may have noticed that Klika's weapon wasn't very effective, so he's like, uh oh. Just looking over, Klika, don't pick up your weapon. What the fuck is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> um,. Yeah, Jarzak puts on his swim goggles, his little nose clamp, and his swim cap. He's like, I'm going in. I'm going to strangle me a ghost. Like, Jarzak, that's not how it works. It was Jarzak, always you how also it can't swim. Have you ever strangled the ghost? No, I didn't think so. You don't know if it works. Nobody <laughs> dives <has>. in. <laughs> so, having seen Anton use the light in this way, the giant bone monster uh, lurches back and then springs onto him with a tidal wave of osseous materials as all the bones just lurch and climb and pile all over him. Um, what's your armor class, Anton? It's right now an 18. Okay. Well, I definitely passed that. So yeah. it crashes. Wait, can I do warding flare? To, like give it disadvantage? Uh, also, uh, also, Anton, your armor class is now 21. It's beating it, but what would Warring Flare do? Just give you a... Give it you just it poses disadvantage on an attack roll. So these two okay. things actually synergize with each other. Oh, look at that. Oh. oh. I missed by one now that it's 21, right? Yeah, it's uh, 18 plus 3 is 21, I think. Yes. 
Damn. Okay. So with that, as Norhill leaps in to help shove you aside and offer some shielding, Anton shoots off the blast of light into the chest of it. And it seems like as you do so, some of the bones splinter and pass by. And as Anton ducks down and hides, um, sort of moving around into the into the pile of the reaching arms and the bones following Norhill as he guides her, uh, guides him out with the shield, uh, Anton gets out unscathed, unscratched, still clutching the lantern as he does. Um, yeah, that's horrifying. Um, okay, so now it goes to Norhill. All right, Norhill is going to go ahead and make two attacks against the monster. Uh, the first attack is going to be a 19 to hit. That's good. And the second attack is going to be a 15 to hit. The 15 does not hit. Okay. Uh, so let's see. So this uh, one attack that hits is going to be a, uh, what was it called? A goading attack. So it needs to make a DC 16 wisdom saving throw. Does this, require, does this require they can still be hit by uh, psychic damage? Because I'm pretty sure there's that. See, uh, see going attack, uh, on a hit, uh, spend a superiority die to deal extra damage and force the target to uh, make a wisdom saving throw or have disadvantage against all other creatures but me. So I mean, if you want to rule that because it's immune to psychic damage, it can't be goaded into attacking you. That's fine. But it's I mean, not something that's rolled into the ability. I also feel like we could argue that Norhill just puts himself into the line of danger more than just yelling at it sometimes. I'm, I'm willing to say because it doesn't specify, because I know a lot of those kinds of spells do. Um, I'll let you have it. Yeah, I'll, and I'll check the full text of the ability in the player's handbook again too once I roll my damage. The extra damage happens no matter what. True. All right, so let's Plus see. That's the... 14 points of magical bludgeoning damage. Okay. And two lightning. Okay. And then that's it? Uh, yep, I missed the other attack. Oh, and then I got to do that saving throw, right? Yep. DC 16. Oh shit, I've got good saves. I got 21. All right, uh, so it does not take disadvantage to hit creatures other than me. So it doesn't even matter. I'll still check the word. Yeah, I was going to say, so I guess. I'll still check yeah, the ability though. Um, okay, so if that's it for Norhill, it goes to Jarzak. Okay. Uh, Jarzak's going to use his bonus action teleport. I'm just anticipating Domer's luck going off, and we're going to have some very annoying hijinks we have to deal with. Yep. And his move, and he's going to get flanking and attack. Jesus. Going to uh, use your curse? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, hold on. How much move? Teleport? I was Probably get here. Five, ten, fifteen. Would that still have flanking so that I wouldn't have to bonus action teleport? With Anton, yeah, you'd be fine right? to get the flanking like that. Okay, yeah. then I won't use my bonus action for that. Instead, I will use it to... Um, 
I only think of the Hexblade's curse is just a very, very awful swear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Hexblade oh. curse um uh or damage rolls. Okay. And yeah, I'm a swing Domer's luck. Uh, 25 to hit. That's good. First, 14 damage. And that's the bludgeoning, right? Yeah. Dang, dang, dang. Uh, 24 to hit. And... Uh, 16 points of damage. Damn. Okay, yeah, this thing looks like it has been brutalized as both Northern Hill and Jarzak just start breaking off bones and different components, just smacking them off like hinges and boards on a fence. This thing looks like it has been quite debilitated from the onslaught of the two of you. And that's my turn. Cool. All right, so now it goes to Klika. Well, you could just kind of stab it with a good old flicker. Oh, you know what's sad? I forgot to take the initiative for Swift Bolt last turn. Oh. I didn't think he was fighting. I thought he was scared shitless. <laughs> no. All right. I'll just do his turn next time. We'll all pretend that he was scared shitless for right now. That seems that that's canon. That fits in. He's been afraid of this thing most of all. And then he sees that Jarzak wants to go swimming in it, so I guess he kind of <laughs> got over that fear pretty quick. He's Something like, quite it's not that I'm... So I got a soft 20 to hit. Okay. And 13 damage. Okay. What type of damage? Was it just slashing? I believe daggers are piercing. Oh, yeah, 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 duh. <laughs> swingy, swingy, swingy. Yeah, chopping at <laughs> it. So it was seven piercing damage, two acid damage, and four light or four thunder damage. Okay, cool. Um, all right, and it's uh, booming bladed. Is that it? That'll okay. do it. All right. Uh, now it goes to Anton. I was going to fireball it. Unless everyone thought that was a bad idea. I no, believe we're I all pretty close. I mean, it's big enough that you might be able to hit it with fireball without getting party involved. Yeah, as far as the overall size of this thing goes, it's just like a tornado of bones. It's about 30 feet across. So the fireball is 20 feet across as an explosion, right? So for like 40 feet like total. It is. Its area is 20 feet. I thought its radius was 20 feet. I might be wrong. Uh, Range is 150 feet. Area is 20 feet. Okay. Yeah. yeah, uh, All spherical spells are measured by their radius. At least in like third level. 20 foot radius, 30 foot diameter, uh, 40 foot diameter. Yeah, 44 turn. Okay, yeah. Well, that's not as good for everybody involved. No. But I mean, you know, if you make it appear way above uh, the creature so that, you know, it's only in 
you know, it's uh, only in half in the fireball, it still takes the full damage. Yeah. Just got to aim up. Yeah. Okie dokie. Let's do it. Okay. All right, roll that sweet damage. Uh, well, it's a deck save of the 16. But, um... Yep. Which I whiffed. I got a 14. Woo! And you can take 32 damage. So, it dies. Was there anything Whip. Anton wanted to do as he delivers the killing blow? Um, I guess he wants to say something like... Let this be a warning. We do not plan to turn away. We will speak with you in Thrindale. Under peaceful so, terms. As all the bones fall to the ground, clacking, clattering, like the end scene in Jaws when the shark explodes. All the yeah. bones just shattering and falling to the water. To the Yeah, to the water. Yeah, it, it got some distance. One of those things is going to go flying to Gallup Bay and smack one of the ogres <laughs> in the head. He's like, me turn new leaf. Me start new life. Just get swacked with somebody's freaking collarbone. Um, but anyway, uh, the bones falling to the ground, blackened and burning. Um, Swift Bolt seems to be coming out of whatever he was afraid of there. Sort of runs up to the group again and says, please forgive me. Says, I, after what I had seen and what I had seen prior of this beast, I... I promise I would have helped if you didn't completely whiff this thing in under three turns. That's okay. You're understandable. Your reaction is understandable. We've not seen this creature's like before either. And with that, he looks up and he says, I suppose we should get going. As quickly as possible. Uh, and Orhill picks up uh, the banner again, ready to go. Yeah, it's a little poetic that the party just fireballed the guardian at the front gate. <laughs> You'd pick up the flag of peace. You're like, just marching up the hill. You asked for it. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just like Anton said. And then and now you see that we mean business. We actually do want to talk. They we violated the nap. Um, as the, uh, yeah, they violated in that. Um, so before <laughs> you now is the uh, mountainous climb up to the uh, pavilion there. So the question I have is how the party plan on climbing up it. Are we just going to just straight up mountain climb? Or are we have any other other plans? We, uh, seems we have like... tons of climbing gear. True. Okay. So in that case, the entire party can have advantage on their checks if they're all going to be utilizing the climbing gear. Uh, Swift Bolt was planning on also using the climbing gear. These are the days I miss being a monk. Damn it. Maybe someday. Uh, so this is an athletics check. And I'll give it to you guys at advantage for using the climbing gear. Oh, well, I rolled a four and a five. Uh, With so bonus? Thirteen. Very good. Okay. I got the second highest number I could, which is an 18. Nice. <laughs> 11. Okay. And Anton to round the number. Um, 
It's at advantage. Twenty-two. Yeah, that that was at advantage. That was so, that. Is it crit? Oh yeah. <laughs> so perhaps the entire party, um, bolstered by their success, uh, the entire party are able to climb up and reach the various stony landings. And over the process of about an hour's time, the party climb up about 200 feet or so of the rocky crag before climbing up on the side landing of the pavilion. Again, it's like a letter D shape, a capital D, uh, and it seems to be about 100 feet wide on the side, so about 50 feet deep from the farthest point of the overlooking um, the uh, edge there of the wall. Um, but at the farthest side, built into the mountainous wall, are a series of metal tubes on the front of a massive stone door. The stone door itself looks to be like 20 feet tall and the pipes sort of wreathe around it. At the base here are a series of metal tubes that have all been sort of chucked about and seem to have almost like blown off the wall. Looking closer, there appears to be something of a small metal tube mounted into the stonework, sort of disconnected from the ones on the door. Um, and there appears to be something of almost like a tuba sort of like metal um, flanged like a pipe ending on the complete other side of the door. I look to Norhill and I say, Norhill, is this anything you could recognize as dwarven work or craftwork? Norhill would like to make a stone cunning check. I'll give you the advantage on it. Um, yeah. I'm also going to roll. There is a certain percentage chance that you guys actually read about this specific door when you were reading over the Dwarvish books. Uh, well, uh, Norhill yeah. rolled so, two natural ones. Well, don't worry about that because okay. I rolled a percentage chance and I got a 99. So it is very clear that both Anton and Norhill look at each other with a look of surprise and elation as they realize this door was highly detailed in one book, specifically outlining how one of the craftsmen had this idea after a Hot Pickle Tuesday night of tuba oompa playing and realized that they could create something of a door that was operated specifically off of like a pneumatic press. So by pushing in a little bit of air, the entire door would swing open easily. Um, looking at the tubes before you, it definitely looks like somebody may have busted this door up and may have taken advantage of the fact that they don't need to use doors here. So rebuilding it is not actually going to be that hard since both of you have such a good idea of what it's supposed to look like. So um, yeah, at this point, I'm going to take a raw intelligence check. I'm going to let Norhill add the stone cunning bonus. Um, yeah. Uh, so the stone cutting bonus is just it gives me twice Vintage. my proficiency. Oh, perfect. So, uh, are we, just, are we both be, intelligence? So will that just be a plus four then? Yeah, I suppose so. And I'll say since there's the two of you, you can roll it at advantage. So it's going to be a plus five in total. Uh, for a 24. So Anton and Norhill, seeing this nightmarish puzzle laid out before them, have that moment of like, oh my gods, can you believe we actually read the right book about this? The two high five for once their side quest has led to something better um, <laughs> than uh, what 
Jarzak and Klika were able to do on their time alone. Um, and the two of you, in a matter of about 10 minutes, are able to fit together all of the metal piping and tubing. Norhill takes a couple brief pauses in between to mention how, of course, dwarves would make such excellent pieces of metal that would fit together so perfectly after centuries of misuse. Um, but yeah, once all the pieces are properly fitted together without the use of any tools at all, um, before you use the task of simply blowing on the horn. Norhill blows hey. the horn. Norhill can roll me a constitution saving throw at advantage. Uh, 23. So Norhill, as he puts his lips onto the horn, feels a tingling, burning sensation on his lips, as if he may have fallen for one of the silliest, foolish traps that he could possibly have fallen for. As he puts his lips onto there, he feels a twinge of burning poison enter his mouth. And as his whole mouth inflates and flames and burns, he takes... That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of damage. Um, Would he have advantage on this roll? Oh, well, uh, you yeah, said what? Yeah, it? I had advantage on the saving throw. Okay. And I have resistance against poison damage. You take 10 points of damage only, which is hilarious to me. That it could have been 40 points, but instead, Norhill's like, that was gross. <laughs> Meanwhile, Swiftbolt's dying. His lungs are just melting out of his chest. Norhill's like, could use a little salt. That's like God, it's the freaking carrying crawler poison on all the locks all over again. That's like uh, a you know, you know, normal buzz. You know, step away from blowing the horn and like you know, like you know, spitting and trying to wipe it off. That's so fucking hilarious to me that what would kill other people is an inconvenience for Norhill, and he spits it out. <laughs> like he just ew. Um, anyway, so that aside, uh, the task still lies before you. Uh, Norhill's gonna get like a dirty rag or something and <laughs> wipe off one. the mouthpiece. <laughs> uh, I think you and... didn't grab a clean rag. It's just like, I want to get a real dirty one. Well, <laughs> because uh, he's going to like throw it away afterwards. So he didn't want to have, you know, use like a real nice rack. Yeah, he's going to wipe off the mouthpiece this time and then blow the horn. Okay. And once you do, you hear a low rolling reverberation as it sounds out a single and as it does so, the door itself seems to slide forward on rolling gears and rotate to the side on one single track, almost like sort of like a like a train track of sorts. And before you is a long expanding stone hallway that goes back about 60 to 80 or so feet. It's hard to tell from the darkness, um, but the walls seem to be lined with dwarvish reliefs of like dwarven faces, each one looking very upset. At the end appears to be another set of double doors. Well, all right. The door's open. Not all at once. Shall we? Oh, if we're going to step in a trap. 
I know I was going to use the pole that he was using to uh, carry uh, the the flag like a ten foot pole, so that he can test the oh. floor in front of him. That's what I thought you were going to do when you're climbing up the dirty hill. I thought you were just like going to poke in the ground with the big tent pole, assuming there might be like another one of those drop from the ceiling traps. It's <laughs> just out in the middle of the field. Um, okay, so Norhill then is in the front, I take it? Yeah. The hallway itself is about 15 feet wide. The ceiling rises up to about 15 feet. And again, it reaches back about 60 or 80 feet. Hard to tell from this distance, but you can tell it ends with the double doors. Is there any light in here, or does like is the light, or do I need to like brighten the lamp a little bit? Yeah, if you aim the lamp down the hallway, it's very clearly eighty feet. It ends okay. with a pair of stone doors with big metal latches on it that can be pulled open. But judging by how heavy duty it is, this looks like it may have been a defensive structure at one point in time. So, more hill leads with the pole. Who's following? Follow. Okay. Let's do it. Yep. Okay, Swift Bolt will take up the rear here. Um, the party slowly walk in, prodding at the ground. Um, and as you guys do, you notice that the, the dwarfish sort of uh, reliefs on the wall become more and more grotesque the farther you go in here until some of them look like their faces have sort of melted into very, very unpleasant faces. Um, the holes where their pupils are and their mouths are also seem to be, I don't know how to say this, um, open. Like you can tell there's space beyond them. And so as you uh, start wandering further and further down the hall, was there anything you guys wanted to do? Does this look like it was artwork that was um, like vandalized or? So I don't imagine the dwarves would have made something like this. Unless, like, I mean, Ganzen's first gut is poison or something is going to come out. Like, can I stuff dirt in the hole or something as we pass it by? I mean, there are there are dozens of them on the walls. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Norhill recognizes that this may be sort of like an honorific sort of like title, title uh, sorry, like the credit reel for building this place. And some of the prime builders may have been mentioned here in the entryway. Um, having the holes in their faces and stuff. At some points, dwarves may have used them as like defensive structures or as like scrying portals or murder holes. Um, but judging um, by how some of these ones have the holes in their faces, it definitely is not beyond the imagination to imagine that some sort of danger may be coming from these holes. Nor Norhill is going to say, watch the holes. They clearly have some sort of defensive purpose. Okay. So with that, party continue walking down the hall, and the voice from the tent again bellows into this chamber as the door behind you slowly creaks and rolls shut again, and you hear the voice call out, you should not be here. And suddenly, from each of the holes and all the faces and the mouths, a greenish-yellow smoke comes billowing out, and immediately the smell of, like, a stinging, burning, mustard-gassy kind of stench comes rolling out and fills the hall with a near-opaque greenish-yellow smoke. 
So, uh, can I get a constitution saving throw? Uh, is this poison? Hold on, uno momento. It is. Cool. Soft 20. Nice. 23. Anybody else? Anton? Jersey? Not 20. And what about Anton? Oh my god, sorry. I have my hands on my mic. 17. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Um, so each and every one of you guys are able to, apparently being warned by Norhill, are pretty well prepared for what's coming your way. Um, the total amount of damage anybody takes is 10, um, as it burns the eyes, and it seems to almost climb into orifices, just to really hazard your vision and everything. Um, Norhill does take half of that as a smelly dwarf, um, but the party, with still another 40 feet to go down the hallway, uh, what would you guys like to do on this next turn? Uh, is going to suggest that we run. And so okay. and Norhill's going to take off down the hall. Okay. Can I get another constitution spells saving that throw? Can hmm? I get another constitution saving throw? If I cast Fire Shield, will that burn away some of the bad air? Mm, no. Okay. I would say uh, it, would, it would have to be some sort of a wind effect to blow it. Yeah. God, it turns out it's just combustible. The entire hallway just conflagrate. Uh, 28. Okay. Uh, 21. Norhill also got a 28, which is a crit. Damn. And what did Anton and Jarzai get? 21. Damn. Grand. Uh, seven. <laughs> Jarzai takes 23 points of damage as you guys manage to shove the doors open laboriously. Um, and it does not seem like our friend Swiftbolt is doing very good as he seems to have breathed a bit in trying to help shove the door open. Um, but Anton, Norhill, and Klika all take 11 points. Imagine that means Norhill only takes six. Yep. Um, okay. And so <laughs> you guys pop into what seems to be a sort of defensive, uh, sort of secondary chamber here. Um, the chamber has a large fireplace in the back. There are doors to the left and to the right. And there are piles of bones strewn about, some of them inside the fireplace in the fire, blackened by the flames. Um, but as you guys step into this chamber, um, the voice booms again and says, You say you come here under duress of peace, yet you disobey the orders to die at my gate. Tell me, what gives you any idea that I would listen to you? Norhill is going to... Who is carrying Queen Paleotrade's necklace? 
believe it's Klika. Yeah. Like is just wearing it. <laughs> like, what, this old thing? <laughs> we have come with a gift to show our goodwill. Uh, and he's going to look down at Klika. Um, Queen. Klika pulls out a dud, like yeah. a replacement necklace. <laughs> Made of bones. Hope he doesn't notice. Um, Queen Paleotreides of the elves gave us this to give to you. Uh, hoping you would have an audience with us. And she and with that, holds the necklace above her head. And so with that, a glowing orb about the size of a fist materializes out of nothingness in the center of the room. It has glowing, ghostly, greenish tendrils sort of like slinking around it like a weird sort of like octopus kind of creature. And as you hold it up, it sort of leans in a little bit and the cold, necrotic air around it seems to burn at your fingers just a tad bit and as it does so there seems to be a sort of um a cackling that fills the chamber it says you think i would be so foolish as to accept a gift a gift i sit upon a treasury of magical artifacts you could not fathom i have i have relics from ages past I have things you could not fathom the powers. And you think a simple bauble such as this would entice me? What is it oh. worth to you? Oh, um, well, we definitely did think that, yes. Uh, that, that, that clears that up. But it was given to us by someone who said you might be our only hope. So we came all this way to see you and give this to you. Are you suggesting you are helpless? Well, yeah, pretty much. Things have been better, yeah. Are you suggesting that I am more powerful than you? All of your allies? This queen? Well, when dealing with an immortal, you know, having another immortal is usually pretty good. And with that, another cackling comes forward and says, you have no idea what it is that you hold in your hands, do you? We were not told, no. And Charzat looks down at a sausage he's holding in his hand. He's like, I don't really know. Just looks at his one hand with the metal glove. I don't have a hand anymore. <laughs> like, ha! Gotcha, bitch. But with that, he says, if you knew what it was that you held in your hand, you might think twice then to bring it here. So tell me, are you fools? Or do you really need me that badly? I mean, it could probably be both, right? Yeah, a bit of both. I've, I mean, again, many, I, I, I've made many sacrifices and concessions already. What is one more? And with that, a door to your left opens up slowly 
or sorry, to your right, opens up slowly. And before you, you see a couple of um, black, shadowy, ghostly figures, uh, each one with a skeletal form of like a, a like just a face amongst the black smoldering smoke with glowing greenish white eyes. And with that, the floating orb before you says, I have gleaned your intentions. I have read you all like tomes in a library. If it is true that none of you wish any harm my way, then I suppose we may talk. But I warn you, you may not leave here alive. But the gift, the gift is mine. And with that, the necklace floats into the air and it floats away from you guys over in the direction of those strange, smoldering, smoky, skeletal forms. Swift Bolt nearly drops a duke at this point, seeing these spooky undead things in this evil undead crypt-looking space that you guys are in. Um, but as the orb floats over to the skeletal forms, uh, what would you guys like to do? Um, are the bones in the fireplace gonna come alive? <laughs> a chuckling ensues in the room, and the fire goes out. Oh, <laughs> the perfection Hill is going to wait patiently for further instruction. Okay, is anybody planning on doing any funny business? Nope, mm, I no. did not, not, not with this one. <laughs> so, with that, the party are led down um, a series of halls in what appear to be. Uh, like I was saying before, a dwarvish sort of structure. Again, it sort of reminds you of the halls of silver and steel. Um, definitely some time has taken a, some some damage onto the structure, but eventually in the lower halls, you come across a small wading pool, and inside the wading pool is a giant serpent-like creature um, with massive draconic legs and a giant draconic face upon it. It rears out of the water and growls at you guys all menacingly, and the strange ghostly forms start casting spells into the pool to freeze it, and the figure seems to be locked under the ice in the chamber and screeches and squeals, and the thing just starts trying to breathe, you know, cone of coldness, basically, in your direction. The orb pulls up a small scintillating orb around your party, and as you are led this way, the uh, voice, again, doesn't really say anything or do anything at this point, and I think almost to show you just how fucked you guys would be if you came in here in any other way, it seems almost like the orb is taking you on, like, the, the exclusive tour of 99 ways you dumb fucks would die in this place, and just continues down the hall before reaching a giant stairwell that opens up to what, again, I think only Norhill could truly appreciate this um, for what it is or what it was. But the party are led into what seems to be sort of the grand inner works of what could have been the Night Crags sort of home layer here, sort of their center, their capital. And what you see before you are like a, like maybe six or seven stories down of just like dwarvish structures. There's bridges crossing different spans and gaps. There's certain buttresses of buildings and whatnot, small courtyards and citadels sort of locked away into the walls and everything. But the one thing that sort of uh, freaks you out a little bit, it's kind of like when you look at like dirt 
And as you zone out, you see things moving like little bugs and worms and stuff. And as you guys are walking through here on the first sort of buttress to go to a, a small elevator of sorts, um, looking down, you see just countless dozens of ghoulish dwarvish forms just sort of gasping and growling and running about feverishly. Again, with the orb over the party, it doesn't seem like this is much of anything to be afraid of, but being lowered down the elevator, um, the voice chimes in and speaks in the dwarvish tongue and says, Tell me, does this bother you, Norhill Hammerstone? How could it not? And yet I will not be goaded. I would speak that, with you in peace. The cackling continues, and you guys reach the bottom, where you are led to a set of massive double doors. The ghostly forms pull latches on the doors, um, and the giant dwarvish, again, humongous like fortress walls give way, and before you is a humble spiraling staircase leading downward. Um, once you guys are led down this spooky way down, probably a couple hundred feet, you arrive in what could be described as sort of a, uh, a juxtaposition to the Hall of Amthar. Again, another long hall that arches off into various pathways to the left and to the right. But this hall is adorned with pillars arcing all the way back and a single red silken uh, rug that sort of goes all the way back to what appears to be a throne of sorts. Sitting at the throne seems to be the skeletal form of Unthrendil. As the orb sort of scintillates and bursts before you, the robed figure with a massive and sort of bejeweled staff stands up from its post here at the throne and beckons to you and says, Name yourselves. Hi, I'm Kliga. Hi, I'm Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Halls of Silver and Steel. Oh, so Kliga says that and then immediately hides behind Jarzak. <laughs> I am Anton of Glorywake. And Anton gives a slight bow. I'm Jarzak, leader of the orcs. With that, Swiftbolt chimes in, um, sort of wavering and shaking, and says, I am Swiftbolt, Gallant Bay. And with that, the Lich sits down at this point and just begins to mockingly laugh at each and every one of you and says, to have come this far is impressive to say the least. What you have done to the bones before my humble home. To say the least, it is frustrating to think I would have to create such a beast again. But I am impressed by what you are capable of. I think it is time you explain to me what it is you need done. But I warn you, I know what you need doing. And I know why you have come here. Unfortunately for you, there is nothing to hide, and I would love nothing more than to hear again why it is you are so hopeless you would march potentially to your own doom, death, and demise. And that is where we're going to end it.
Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.